I was praying here uh, over the past week, just praying for the body. And, and as I was praying, something was just coming to me as I was praying, just about um, maturity within the body. You know, tough times are a part of life. Things happen. You know, and sometimes when things happen with children, children don't know what to do. And they get confused. They're not sure. They're looking for someone for leadership. But when there's maturity, there's stability. And as I was praying, the Holy Spirit was just speaking to me about Ephesians. It was Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. It says, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects and to him who is the head, even Christ. We here are a mature body. There's strength here. We're going to talk about some things today. We're going to take a deeper dive, and we're going to go into some things that are maturity for the times that we're living in right now. In John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus told the people, the thief is come to steal and to kill and to destroy. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul tells us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers It's against the principalities, the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, against spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. When we're talking about authorities and powers, we're not talking about the president of the United States, the governor. We're not talking about people. We're talking about spiritual forces that are out there. The thief who comes to steal and to kill and to destroy And there isn't anybody in the kingdom of God who doesn't know the visit of the thief, who doesn't know what it is to feel like something's been stolen from you or that something has been killed or destroyed. Now, here's the thing, though. This doesn't mean that everything that goes on in our life can be blamed on our enemy. James chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. He himself does not tempt anyone. But everyone is tempted when he is carried away by his own lust and is enticed. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul tells us that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Okay, so we're responsible for our own decisions. We have an enemy who's out there after us. But the sayings of the devil made me do it doesn't apply. The devil cannot make us do anything. To say that, well, man, you don't understand. The temptation was so tough. I just couldn't, I couldn't resist. Man, it's not fair. Why did God let it happen? No, the scriptures tell us that God won't allow us to be tempted beyond what we can handle. There's always a way out. There's a door. We're responsible for our own choices. So we can't blame the devil. So how does he fit into this picture then? 
There is an enemy. He does work on us. See, our enemy, he knows our weaknesses. We can't be tempted by something that we're not already vulnerable to. See, now, I've had, I have children, and I had one child that absolutely loved sweets, absolutely loved them. I had another one that could kind of take it or leave it. So if I wanted to tempt one with some chocolate, there's a vulnerability there. But for the other one, it's not the same thing. See, the enemy has been around for a long time, and he knows our vulnerabilities. The enemy plays on us by trying to lay traps and snares. He puts them out. The enemy tries to get us to make choices, but they're still our choices. Here are some things, just some examples of how the enemy tries to work in our lives. He tries to lie to us, to deceive us, to discourage us. He says things like, you're not really a child of God. You're not as good a Christian as everybody around you is. You sin too much. God won't answer your prayers. Remember what you did last week? How can you possibly think that you could come into God's presence right now? You've gone too far this time. You have failed God too many times. How about some of these? Enough is enough. It's time for you to look out for you now. These people don't understand how wonderful you are. They're not grateful enough. That person has wronged you too many times. No way you should forgive them this time. Those are just some examples of things that the enemy will play to us as deceiving to try and get us to go off the path and to go into sin. So how do we deal with the enemy? I'm just gonna tackle a few questions that I get frequently from people and I'm gonna give you some truth on them. Number one, isn't the devil as powerful as God? I mean, you know, I saw the latest Star Wars movie that came out and they were talking about the balance between good and evil, between the good side of the force and the dark side of the force. And I can't tell you how many times I hear from people this concept that there's this balance out there between good and evil. And that there's a balance then between God and the devil, as though that there's somehow they're equal. There's no equality. Okay, is God as powerful as the devil? No. Let me tell you what we know about the devil. Number one, the devil is a created being. He is created by God. We know that in the beginning, Adam had dominion over this world in the garden. God gave it to Adam. Adam was the one who was naming everything that there is on this planet. And whatever Adam named it, that's what it was. We know that Adam lost that dominion when he sinned in the garden and that that dominion fell to the devil. We know that the devil boasted about having that dominion when he was tempting Jesus. He told Jesus, if you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of this world and the glory of them because that is mine to give. We know that Jesus took it away from him. Amen. The death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ broke the power of the devil and that Jesus took that authority away from the enemy. In Colossians 2, uh, in verse 15, it says that he spoiled principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly. The Greek words that are used in there are the same words that are used for when the Romans would come through the Arch of Triumph, bringing behind them their prisoners. It tells us that Jesus Christ did that to the spiritual forces. He won the victory. In Matthew 28, 18, he said that all authority and power on earth have been delivered to me. 
Therefore, we were to go in his name. So we know that the power that the devil had, he doesn't even have anymore. Okay, Jesus Christ has that. We know that the devil will end up in the lake of eternal fire. We know from the scriptures that that lake of fire was not created for humans who don't believe. It was created for the devil and his angels. At the final judgment, those who don't believe are going to join the devil and the angels in his place of punishment. And so where are we at now? The devil is still here on this planet because he is a squatter. Okay? He's a squatter. He does not have the dominion on this planet. And we're waiting until the landlord comes back and evicts him for us and cleans the place out. So why hasn't God done this already? What's he waiting for? Well, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus told his disciples that it was not for us and for them as the disciples, but even for us today, it's not for us to know the times or the seasons that God has set up. So short answer, we don't know why. But we do know this. It would appear that God is not done with this world. He doesn't want robots. He wants people that are going to choose. And the presence of the enemy still on this planet forces people to choose. God wants people that are going to choose to serve him. So if Jesus has all authority on heaven and earth, and he's up in heaven and the devil is still down here, so then where does that leave us? First of all, what it does is it means that the devil will still be able to exercise authority over those who live in sin. He can oppress them. He can possess them if they allow him. They have free will to open that door. He could wreak havoc on the earth in all ways that the Lord allows him and when the Lord allows him to do so. But the devil has no authority over the believer. He has no authority. He must yield to those of us who resist him. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Do you know what flee means? Flee doesn't mean that we turn around and retreat. If you've ever seen those war movies from this, you know, the, the independence times, whenever it was time to retreat, the drummer would sound this different drum beat that meant retreat. So we all turn around and we walk the other way. If it's really bad, we might run. But to flee means that we threw everything away. Man, and if our helmet was too heavy, we took the helmet off and chucked it. Anything that was on us that was holding us back, you chucked it away and you ran. That's also what Paul meant when he told Timothy to flee from sexual immorality. Don't test yourself to see how tough you are. Run. Run the other way and throw off everything that's slowing you down. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 1 Peter 5, 9 says to resist him, the enemy, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So if that's the case, if he has no authority over the believers and we resist him and he'll flee, then how can he create so much havoc among believers? Some believers don't know that the devil doesn't have any authority. Somebody told me one time that they had been told that the devil was out to get them and they were afraid. And I said, you know you don't have to be afraid. But I talked to a lot of believers who don't know that. To them, that is a scary thing that the enemy would be out to get them. The enemy is out to get every single one of us. He has come to steal and to kill and to destroy he is not going to shine us on. 
Some people, they do know that the devil has no authority over them, but they're not aware that the devil is at work around them. They're not spending enough time with the Lord to have that discernment, to be able to see something's going on. There are others, they're aware, but they don't do anything. They just don't do anything about it. And there are others who are aware, but they don't know what to do. Know this. The enemy will bully those who let him. He will bully any believer who lets him. So how do I put a stop to this? Number one is to know your enemy. You need to know your enemy. We need to make sure that we're spending enough time with the Lord that we have discernment. If we're in God's word and we're spending time with him, we will have discernment to see what's going on. Know your enemy. There's bunnies and there's bears, and they do different things. I say bunnies, they could be mice, they could be cockroaches. They're infestations. They do different things, bears and bunnies. Know the enemy, what's going on? If you can identify by a name and a purpose of your enemy, then you can specifically be able to pray against it and confront it. But know this, that no matter what the name or the purpose is of the enemy, you need to know that the enemy would be an intruder in your life. An intruder. Number two is to know how he gets in. First of all, know your enemy. Number two, know how he gets in. He can come in legally. There are a whole bunch of teachings about how an enemy can come into your life and begin to wreak problems for you legally, but they all basically will come down to two things. Number one is voluntary sin. We know that we shouldn't do this, but we do it anyway. Or we try and tell ourselves something, we trick ourselves and pretend that we're not doing something wrong, but we are, and we know it. In the days of, of Joshua, chapter, Joshua chapter seven, the Israelites have been promised by God that he would be with him, right? Be strong and courageous. Step into the land and take possession of it and I'm going to be with you, right? A promise, except that there's some condition on that. Only walk in all of my ways. So the Israelites had a command. They had to go in and they had to conquer in a city and they were told, don't take anything. But there was a man named Achan who took something. And because Achan took something, when the Israelites went to the next city, they got whooped. And a lot of people lost their lives. Remember, when we do voluntary sin, we expose ourselves to the enemy and we allow the enemy an open door to come in and begin to wreak havoc in our lives. Number two is ignorance. Some people become believers and they've been, they've been living in a life where some of the habits that they had are just the kind of habits that bring open doors to the enemy and they didn't know any different. That's why it's so important when you make a decision to follow Christ that you get connected with believers and you get into a church and you get into the word and you begin to grow because as you do, the Lord is going to show you these things in your life. And you're gonna be able to get those habits out and close doors and prevent the enemy from taking advantage of you. If you don't, just your daily habits are gonna create opportunity for the enemy to come in and wreak havoc on you. I find that our culture has changed so much too that some things that I just think people would know, that of course you know that that's not biblical, some people don't know. Even, even sexual immorality. For a lot of young people that are growing up today, they don't know that it's wrong that if you're sleeping with someone you're not married to, you're opening a door 
there are a lot of young people who are growing up that don't know something that we would have considered in my generation. Of course you would know that. But see, not knowing that means that you're committing an act that's opening a door and allowing the enemy in. Get into God's word. Learn God's word. Learn God's ways. Close those doors. The second way that an enemy comes in is illegally. He gives it a try. If you stop him, that's the end of it. If you don't stop him, he's not going to leave. And if you allow him, he's going to bring more with him and create more problems for you. You don't have to allow him to stay. Many years ago, I was living out in Olympia, Washington, and I lived in this, we lived in this town. I worked at a company where um, the people in the company began to talk about the ghost. Now, I thought that was kind of weird. There's a ghost in our company. And, you know, it got a little more credibility with me when the director for the finance area was telling me how the ghost, she's like, oh yeah, the ghost is here. He's really annoying. She says, I'll work here late at night and he'll turn off the lights on me and I have to go turn them back on. He'll mess with my keypad. Um, She said it was a real problem for her when he went home with her. And she said that the children, she had little ones, and she said her children came and they would say, mommy, there's a man sitting in our room. So she was kind of annoyed with this whole thing, but didn't realize how serious it was. I, on the other hand, am not ignorant. I don't need any of that in our life. I worked late one night when I was over there, and the ghost was around when I was over there. There was a real heavy fire door, and if any one of you, if you know fire doors, fire doors, you can't prop them open. Fire doors are heavy, and they close. I was the only person in the building, and I heard the fire, the fire door close heavy. And it was a very small building, so it took me like, oh, two minutes to do a circle to make sure that I was alone and that the parking lot was empty. There was no one in the building. So my antenna were up for that. And then one night, my wife was praying with my, my oldest son, who was just a baby at the time, and they felt something pass between them spiritually. My wife had said that my little son noticed it too and leaned back, and she called out to me. And I went in and I prayed. Right then, we're not having that in my house. You know, I spoke to that spirit and I let him know, not here, not in this house, in the name of Jesus Christ, out. That doesn't happen here. That's illegally coming into a home. And if you allow it, it's going to continue. Now, when the enemy comes into the home illegally like that, is it always going to be something that's going to cause like the lights to dim, something weird feeling? No, most of the time he's in stealth mode. Most of the time, he's lurking around just creating problems in your home. Can you believe he said that to you? You're not going to take that, are you? (laughs) Right? Anybody ever have that kind of stuff going on in your house? It happens. So number one is that we need to know our enemy. Number two is we need to know how he gets in. And number three, we need to kick him to the curb. How do you do this? If you're facing an enemy who's come in legally, you've opened a door whether it's from ignorance or voluntary sin, you've opened the door. Number one, you need to repent. You've got to get the sin out of your life. You cannot continue to sin and close the door. It doesn't work that way. As the scriptures say, there's no fellowship between light and darkness. You've got to repent before God. Repenting before God means, number one, you have to tell yourself the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth. 
I'm old enough now that I've talked to a lot of people. And that's difficult for some people to do is to tell themselves the whole truth. Sometimes people wanna say, well, I went this far, but no further. It's not that bad. I think I can fix it. When we don't tell ourselves the whole truth, we can't fully repent. If we can't fully repent, we can't get it out of there. Imagine if they did a surgery to remove a tumor, but they didn't get it all. And they were like, well, I got most of it. That looks like that's the worst of it. I'm sure it's gonna be okay. And they sewed somebody back up. Surprise, surprise, when it grew back, right? And if you're going to take the effort to do a surgery, you should be thorough. When we repent, we need to tell ourselves the whole truth. Because I'll tell you this too. When you tell yourself the whole truth, you can be free. It no longer has a hold on you. You can be free. Repent before God. And number two, repent to your family. Many secret sins that people do affect their family. Particularly if you're someone responsible for a home. If you're a husband, a single parent, if you're someone that's responsible for the home and you've got some kind of sin going on, you've opened the door and you've not only made yourself vulnerable, you've made the rest of your family vulnerable. Remember Achan. The sin of Achan wasn't limited to Achan and his own family. It affected the entire country of Israel. Repent to your own family. Never say to yourself, it's not that bad. Others have done worse. I can get it under control. If I tell other people, it's gonna hurt them. It'd be better for me to keep it quiet. Luke chapter two, verses two and three, Jesus told us you're not gonna be able to keep it quiet. Jesus said, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. And what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. Every one of us in here, we're human. When we sin, we're not in a hurry to run out and let everybody know about it. There's an urge to keep things quiet and to keep them concealed. A principle that, that I've made a part of my life is I ask myself, if I don't want someone to find out, why? If I have to make an explanation for this, why should I be doing this? Anytime that you're wanting to conceal something or you have to make excuses to try and make it look good, you need to ask yourself, should I be doing this? Because that's where sin likes to hide, is in those little areas. But see, in 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, we don't have to hide in, in the darkness. We can walk in the light. It says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we lie. And we don't live out the truth. But, on the other hand, but... If we live in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Why? Because nothing's hidden. Right? We're walking openly with one another in the light. And if we do have a problem, it says with the blood of Jesus, his son purifies us from all sin. It's all out there. We're walking openly in the light and he, he purifies us from our sins. So we need to stop the sin especially the little ones. The little ones, I think, are the ones that get people the most because the, everybody knows how to prevent bears. Nobody wants a bear in their life, so people are scared to do things that are gonna bring big bears into their life, but it's the little sins, what we watch, what we're looking at. If we cut corners, if we hide things, if we lie, 
things we fantasize about. All of these things open little doors and infestations will take down everything. My wife and I lived in another home out in the country in Wisconsin. They put a house on a farm field. They thought it was a good idea. There was nothing around us. We couldn't find a place in town. We lived in a little town of 2,000, and we were youth pastoring there, so we couldn't find a place to live in town, so we had to go out and live in this farmhouse. And this farmhouse had mice, and it didn't have a few mice. This thing was alive with mice. We would find mouse droppings even in the crib. It was terrible. One night, I made up my mind, that is it, I've had enough. I'm getting rid of these mice. So I stood in the garage and I turned the light out. And I'm not lying, all around me, it sounded like my walls were alive. All around me. So I went over to the hardware store and I bought the glue traps and the snap traps and everything I could. And the peanut butter, man, I'm slapping peanut butter on this stuff. And I put these traps all around in my garage and I turned out the light. And I'm not lying, I turned out the light. I turned the light back on. Every trap's got mice on it. So I went out there and I, the ones I could empty, I emptied, I reloaded, I put them back. Hit that light. Turn the light back on, man, that's fast. They're all loaded again. Did it again. I did that, I took out 30 mice from my garage. And then when I turned out the light and I listened, my walls were still alive. I told my wife, we gotta get out of here. To this day, I have this thing about mice. You know, if I see mice dropping somewhere, I was so worried that the boxes that we were taking when we moved out of there were gonna have mice in them and they were coming with me to the new home. Infestations are destructive. And the little things, the little sins that we make excuses for and cover up open doors that allow infestations to come in. And those infestations, they destroy peace. See, the bears we get, the bears will come in and destroy a home. They'll break up families. They'll do destructive things. But the infestations are the things that people live with, and it completely creates chaos in their home. They can't understand why they seem like, you know, why am I wife and I, why are we arguing? Why are the kids fighting all the time? These little things continue to just permeate in our homes because we've allowed infestations. We need to stop the sins. When you've closed the door, don't open it again. Don't open the door again. Close it and leave them shut. When you've done this, you've turned your, at this point here, if you've repented and you've repented before God and to your family and you've stopped the sin and you've closed those doors and you're leaving them closed, now the enemy who's an intruder that was there as kind of a legal guest is now an illegal intruder. So now you can kick him out the same way you kick out the other. So let's talk about that. If you're confronting an illegal enemy who has no place there, you speak to that enemy. You speak to that enemy in the name of Jesus. Not in your mind. It's important that you use your mouth and declare the word of God. You speak to that enemy just like David. Remember when David, uh, Pastor Jesse talked about this last week, how David ran to the battle line. Remember how David, before the battle, spoke to that giant. And he told that giant that God is going to give you into my hands this day. He told that giant straight up. And you need to have that kind of boldness because remember, that enemy does not have authority and he's not just kind of there with you. He's there for bad. Kick him out. You speak to that giant in Jesus' name and you remind him that he has been defeated by the blood of Jesus. Remember the word of God, oh death, where is your sting? You remind him that Jesus Christ made a show of him openly. 
that they have been defeated. You tell that giant that you are a chosen child of God. You were purchased by the blood of Jesus. You didn't earn this. The scriptures say it's not by the works of righteousness that I did, but what he did for me. You were purchased by the blood of Jesus. You are not his anymore. You are clothed in righteousness. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. You are a joint heir with Christ. When he said that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, Galatians tells us that we're joint heirs and he shares that with us. And in Jesus' name, we have that same authority to rebuke the enemy, to drive him off. When the enemy tells him that you're not good enough, you remind him you don't have to be good enough. You were purchased. You didn't earn it. You were purchased by the blood of Jesus. You tell that giant to be quiet and to take his junk and get out of your home. You tell him to get away from your family. And you remember to plead the blood of Jesus as a covering over your family, over every area. You need to cover your relationships. You need to cover your finances, your health, your, your extended family. You just cover yourselves in Jesus' name. And you remind him, if you're a husband or a single parent or someone who's responsible for the home, you remind him that you speak for that home. You need to know this. You speak for your home. The people who live in your home, you may not be able to control what they do when they're out there on their own, what they get themselves into. But you know what you do have control over is what comes onto the property. Okay? Your kids, people living with you, they may open a door to allow some enemy to be hanging around them and influencing them, a demonic influence. But you're the gatekeeper. They can't come on the property. They'll have to wait out on the street. Now, we pray for our kids to know the same things. When we're in a home and we're a parent, we're praying for our kids to know this and to have that authority themselves. But in the meantime, you need to understand that as the person responsible for your home, you're the gatekeeper, and you can control spiritually what enters into your home in Jesus' name. Exercise that authority for the sake of everybody else who lives in that home. If you're not the person who's ultimately responsible for the home, then you contend for your home on your knees in Jesus' name. And you pray for everybody in your family and you fight that fight in Jesus' name. 2 Corinthians 10.4 tells us that our weapons are mighty. The weapons of our warfare are mighty. Paul says we don't fight the way that the world fights. We fight a different fight and our weapons are mighty. Never underestimate one of them the power of prayer. Never underestimate the power of prayer. Pray about things. My mother was a woman of prayer. We lived in a place in Seattle. If you live in Seattle, you either live on a hill at the top of a hill or the bottom of a hill. <clears throat> we lived on the side of the hill. And every day that my mom would, would take us into church, we would drive down the hill and along the lake and there was a, a bar that was just down. It was probably within 100 yards of our home. And uh, my mom has pretty strong feelings about the bars. We've had, uh, alcoholism has wreaked a lot of havoc in our lives, um, in my family. So every day when we would drive past that thing, my mom would curse that thing. In Jesus' name, she'd curse that bar. My mom would pray against that thing. One day we were driving by and I looked over there and there was nothing but smoldering ruins. 
I'm telling you, as a teenager, I was like, whoa. And my mom said, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Another one down. <laughs> there were times that I'd come home and my mom would be like, who are you going to be hanging out with? And, and I didn't want to tell her. And then when she'd finally get it out of me, she's like, you shouldn't be with those guys. I'm going to pray about that. And I'd be like, mom, <laughs> come on now. I'm not kidding. I did. I'd be like, mom, it's going to be okay. Don't pray about it. I'll take care of it. Do not ever underestimate the power of prayer. Number two is the word of God. As Jesse was talking about last week, you can go at the devil with your little switch, your little pocket knife, with your Jesus wept because that's all you know. But if you want that big sword to take the enemy out, the only way to get that is to get into God's word and to know what God's word says. Get in there. And as you do, you're gonna get discernment. You're gonna see stuff happening and you're gonna know why it's happening. And you're gonna know exactly what to pray. And you're gonna know exactly what scriptures apply to that and how to use them in that situation to cut down the enemy. Our weapons are mighty. Now, John 10, 11, Jesus went on in that verse. He first, he started off by saying, the enemy, he comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus went on to say, but I am come that you might have life and have it to the full. What is life to the full? James chapter three, verse 17, gives us a really good picture of it in one verse. He says, the wisdom that comes from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It's unwavering. It's without hypocrisy. And the fruit whose seed is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's what we want in our homes. That's life to the full. That's a life that doesn't have an enemy stealing from us. Isaiah 54, 17 says this, no weapon, is formed, no weapon that is formed against you will prosper. And every tongue that accuses you in judgment, you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. Do you understand that you are the servants of the Lord? That is our heritage. There is no weapon formed against us that can prosper. We're gonna do this right now. It's not just about what we know. And it's not just about what we say, but it's about what we do. It's not enough today for us to talk about this. We need to do something about it.